0: Today on Soundtrack Alley, I'll be delving into one of the greatest, underrated science fiction films that was based on a book, but turned into a rip-roaring sci-fi adventure on the silver screen. I'm talking big names like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, and Michael Ironside, just to name a few. The film, Total Recall. Today, I'll take you on a journey with discussing some of the fun facts on the film and share some personal thoughts on the score and its composer, Jerry Goldsmith. So sit back, relax, as the show begins now. Hello, I am your host Randy Andrews. Yes, I know I've been on hiatus, and I am back. We are going to start discussing more films, more music, and more cue perception even along the way. I hope you've enjoyed the time of being able to look back at some of my archive shows that I've had and Now it's time to dig into new material, well, not brand new material. These films have been out for years, but we can appreciate the film scores and the films that they inhabit. So today, we're going to examine Total Recall. The first time I saw this film was back in the late 1990s and I enjoyed it because it was so science fiction, and yet also so meta. The book isn't anything like the film, except for a key few elements that is based on the idea of it. The book was by Philip K. Dick, and he's one of the greatest pioneers in science fiction. So let's dig into some facts on the film. After seeing Sharon Stone's performance as Lori in the film, Paul Verhoeven would cast her in the movie Basic Instinct due to her ability to play a character that could change from a timid, charming sweetheart to a diabolical person and back again at a moment's notice. He also stated that's the way Sharon Stone is in real life. Just kind of scary. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was so impressed by how much dedication Sharon Stone had in training for her character role that he even referred to her as the female Terminator. She was inducted into the Stunt Woman Association as an honorary member. When filming the fight scene against Lori and Melina, director Verhoeven asked second unit director Vic Armstrong to not choreograph the fight as a catfight, but more like a martial arts fight to give it the feel of two warriors fighting each other and not simply two women. Verhoeven remarks in the DVD commentary that this is probably not the first time in the feature film that we see two women fighting each other normally as opposed to a catfight. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger suffered several hand-related injuries during the shoot. When filming the scene where Quaid smashes a train window, a tiny explosive in the glass was supposed to shatter it to a fraction of a second before Schwarzenegger struck it. But it didn't go off, and Schwarzenegger hit the glass for real, badly cutting himself. When filming the fight scene inside Quaid's Hilton suite, immediately after Quaid shoots Dr. Edgemar, Schwarzenegger broke a finger on his right hand and had to get a cast fitted. As a result, most of his scenes were shot afterward, which kept his injured hand off-screen. Now, Schwarzenegger noticed that Michael Ironside was constantly on the phone between takes. When he broached the subject... With Ironside, he was told that he was phoning his sister, and she was currently suffering from cancer. Arnold immediately brought Michael to his trailer, and they had an hour-long three-way conversation with Ironside's sister about what exercises she should do and what kinds of foods she should be eating. Ironside never has forgotten Arnold Schwarzenegger's kindness, and neither has his sister. This was one of the last Hollywood blockbusters to make a large-scale use of miniature effects as opposed to CGI. It was also one of the first Hollywood blockbusters to use CGI mainly for the scenes involving the X-ray scanner and have it look photorealistic. The concept of Quaid as a buff construction worker was suggested by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and in earlier drafts of the script, Quaid, originally named Quail, was described as an average-looking accountant type. Because of this detail, the original intended producer, De Laurentiis, was adamant that Schwarzenegger not audition. It was only after Schwarzenegger convinced Mario Kasser to buy the script rights from De Laurentiis, whose production company went bankrupt then later drafts changed Quaid's character with one more suitable for Schwarzenegger to play. Schwarzenegger said that he felt this helped the story, giving a much stronger contrast to it by making an otherwise powerful character vulnerable by having his mind stolen. Now, here's something interesting, is that Coca-Cola was the only advertised soft drink on Earth, and then on Mars we see ads for Pepsi which is pretty amusing. Now, Verhoeven wanted to make the movie completely ambiguous, so audiences would not know, even at the end, whether it was just all a dream. Verhoeven himself said he believed the ending was a dream, but at the same time, he also said that the casting of Arnold suggested that it was not a dream as most audience who would go in as a Schwarzenegger f- movie would be in favor of a reality ending as opposed to a dream ending and so the final fading scene to white was done specifically to leave some questions regarding whether everything quade experienced was a dream and they had been lobotomized in the end Although never mentioned in the film, the cover of the VHS edition mentions that it takes place in 2084. Now, this is the same year as Robotron 2084, and it's also been confirmed by Verhoeven. He mentioned Blade Runner as an example of a movie that had far too advanced depiction of the future for the time period that it was supposed to take place, which was actually in 2019. He wanted to avoid that for total recall by situating it much further in the future, which I think has been uh, a result of even further changing timelines in films to make them far more in the future than something so close to home. Now, there were several references to even The Matrix in this movie. There was a red pill, which Dr. Edgemar tries to force Quaid to take, which he claims will allow him to return to reality, and it anticipates the events of the Matrix, in which a red pill also allows the lead character to leave the false world of the Matrix. The form of the real and imaginary worlds is transposed, of course. The red pill here would ostensibly take Quaid back to his safe, complacent life, rejecting everything he's discovered. Now also, Verhoeven based the look and actions of Edgemar on the professor in the film Torn Curtain by Alfred Hitchcock. The director wanted to cast the role as someone naive and strange and a bit weird. He also took some of Alfred Hitchcock's shot compositions and camera placement low to the ground for the scene between Edgemar and Quaid. Well, let's go ahead and start discussing the score we know that jerry goldsmith considered total recall to be one of his best film scores and he had said that he had received some criticism about the movie's score that the movie had no theme to which he strongly disagreed stating that the movie did in fact have a theme but it wasn't the kind of theme that people left the theaters whistling after Goldsmith had modeled some of the movie's score after the score for Conan the Barbarian, which was composed by Basil Polidorus. Of director Paul Verhoeven's line of extremely violent films for the 1990s, Total Recall, complete with offensive use of an innocent bystander as a human shield in a gunfight, easily maintains most mainstream praise in retrospect, even if it only lands on plenty of viewers as a guilty pleasure list. Undemanding but enthusiastic performances by Arnold Schwarzenegger, fresh off his spirited role of kindergarten cop and Sharon Stone, countered a silly premise and dialogue so corny that it actually works in the film. The film is a classic example of a concept and finished product that's so overwhelmingly stupid but also zealously tackled by its crew that it's undeniably likable in almost every aspect. For me, the film is truly a work of pure science fiction magic. The film's futuristic outlandish story and flashy visuals are really well suited for Goldsmith's fast, Synthetic Pace score. Now he was able to use a lot of unique standout cues that really stand out even for me for the actual first cue the main theme of which it's called the dream. I love how Goldsmith really employed the use of different electronic synth instruments as well as an orchestral unusual item that he used often to employ. I hope you enjoy this cue called the dream. Looking at the score is somewhat of an action-packed thinking piece in a lot of ways. There's a cue on the deluxe edition of the album that reminds me clearly of Goldsmith's work on Gremlins 2. It has vigorous work up in the score, and the strings really set the tone, and it's all about the implant when Quaid goes to recall. His experience is that with recall, it triggers all kinds of things. Let's play the cue, the implant, and then the aftermath to give us some basis for this action-packed scene. One of the most intense sessions in the score is Clever Girl and Nose Job. And you want to know why? It's simply because of the drum beats and the space sounds that are implored here. I really find it disturbing and yet very exhilarating. Goldsmith just does not disappoint. Let's play these two cues and move on from there. When recording the score, it was first planned that the producers wanted to save money by sending Goldsmith to Munich, where musicians could be employed at a more inexpensive rate. After several days of disappointing results from the players who were not familiar with Goldsmith's style, the money was then allotted to recall Goldsmith back to London, where he often recorded with the Superior National Philharmonic Orchestra and the musicians were familiar with the kind of vigorous sharp edge that Goldsmith preferred. There's merit to Goldsmith's claim. Any collector who has heard any other ensemble attempt to re-record the title theme for Total Recall notice a severe lack of the gritty punch that was inherent in the original performance. With a three-month break in the middle of the session schedule, To allow Verhoeven more time to edit the special effects, Goldsmith recorded The Wacky Gremlins 2, a new batch, before returning to finish the job in the final days before the film's release. Despite the score's overwhelming presence in the film, it's not very long and in its complete form. Many of the cues were written by Goldsmith were source cues, such as recall 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 in the jingle in the train near the start of the film and numerous other 10 to 20 second commercial jingles heard in the background of other scenes these source pieces heard on mars were contributed by bruno lockhorn however otherwise even the ambient elevator music peppered throughout the various locales in the film including the conversational morning apartment scene near the beginning was the work of Goldsmith. While not known by many, the composer enjoyed writing these little source cues because of the freedom and creativity they allowed him. Ultimately, while these short pieces do play a memorable role in the film... They are indeed catchy, which matches perfectly the comedic attitude of the screenplay's first half. Goldsmith enthusiasts will likely shake them off as a temporary amusement m- nothing more. The relentlessly vibrant action material and soaring fantasy interludes are easy what define the mass of the work. Almost all of Goldsmith's action scores in the 1980s were highly engaging, but at the end of that era, Total Recall reaches a level of energy and cohesiveness not heard since The Wind and the Lion 15 years prior. Instrumentally, on one side of the score for Total Recall is the relentless brass, which chops at its motifs with the same ferocity as the bullets flying around on the screen. At a wickedly rapid pace, even for Goldsmith, the action cues are plentiful and expansive in in length. The sheer number of chase scenes in the film require Goldsmith to produce an enormous amount of dynamic, fully orchestral material, much of the delight to his fans. On the other side of the score is the aspect which makes Total Recall a truly unique experience. Now, because of the futuristic setting of the film, the questions of individual identity suffered by the story's primary character, Goldsmith unleashes his electronics with unequivocal force, allowing them to not only supplement the orchestra as they do during the chase scenes, but also commandeer entire cues with their majesty. There's no better example than The Mutant, in which a dreamlike sequence of free-flowing lo- flight reveals the massive alien secret hidden within the red planet. I've always found this piece to be haunting and beautiful all at the same time. It has the electronic sound of Mars and gives us the key motif for the planet. I love it in its eeriness and the unique display of what happens on screen. So let's hear that now. Even the mechanically precise title theme of the film is made distinct by the percussive electronics used to set its rhythms. For the more whimsical scenes, Goldsmith complements the wide choice of synthetic mixings with a full string section of the orchestra. It has been intriguingly suggested that because of the similarities in futuristic identity issues between the plots of Total Recall and The Matrix, the latter film would have greatly benefited from a comparatively engaging Goldsmith score. Finally, there's an extraordinarily beautiful piece heard in The Mutant, which we just heard, and several other cues, including the redemptive finale that we'll hear very soon, uh, with several cues offering the kind of s- scoring that Goldsmith highlights through romanticism uh, that exists in The Medicine Man and many other scores from the composer at that time. For some listeners, this fantasy element remains the score's most enjoyable aspect. So shortly after the film's debut, Verez Saraband Label released a short album of Goldsmith's most interesting music from the film, Although 40-minute albums were not uncommon for orchestral scores due to union rules, the short release for Total Recall revealed itself to be almost as controversial for film score fans as the same label composer comparing for Air Force One a few years later. Now under considerable pressure from fans for an entire decade, Ferez's Robert Townsend finally produced a deluxe edition of the score for Total Recall in 2000, with countless newly released cues combining to make up a superbly comprehensive album of Goldsmith's score. The major cues newly available on the expanded album included three memorable moments— the short but epic scene of the spaceship traveling to Mars The moment of the Martian train when Quaid first sees the mountain where the alien machine is housed... and the massacre scene of gunfighting between rebel and evil cohagen forces which reinstates the unique synth rhythms of the title theme And also, the worthy addition of the Johnny Cab track, which is a decent extension of the many other chase cues in the film. With 17 more tracks of music for Total Recall, which all was ordered as they were heard in the film, the Deluxe album is packed with pure Goldsmith mastery. Now, the Hologram track from the original album was respelled to make Hologram, perhaps as a jest to the later Hollow Man collaboration. The sound quality of the expanded album is noticeably better than that of the original, though no technical information is given to explain what level of mastering was attempted. So this this piece stands out pretty well. I like it. Let's play it. Well, we've come down to another end to Soundtrack Alley. Uh, I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. And you, of course, can find my podcast anywhere on your podcatcher. And follow me through Facebook, Instagram, and uh, through Anchor. And you can catch my musings of film scores and other things as we go along on my journey. So you can email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com. So finally today, there's an extra hidden source cue at the very end of the New Life track, which true Goldsmith fans will get a chuckle over. The recall motif is played at the end of New Life. I have found this score to be brilliant and a testament to Jerry Goldsmith as a very strong composer. I appreciate all the music he's composed, and in the future, I'll tackle even more movies with his music in it. Until then, you can check out my podcast through the archive so far. Follow me on social media. And until next time, take care and happy listening. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley. If you are an Apple podcast, please give the show a five-star rating. Check out the content over at SoundtrackAlley.com, as well as Cinematic Sound Radio, where most of my new material is posted. If you have a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com.